At times, life can seem, well, very overwhelming, can it? I got a big chuckle this week as a friend of mine texted me this picture that describes, I think, life today for most of us that is very disorienting and disruptive. I love this picture because it captures so much of my life. And notice the words, is it morning? Is it Monday or July? Is it still 2020? Did Amazon deliver the 50-pack of Snickers yet? Where are my friends? Is it bedtime? The snacks are gone. I need more chocolate. Is my state open or closed? Where am I? Is that incredible? I mean, life can feel overwhelming, can it, when you think about it? In addition to the many cares and concerns and disruptions and disorientations we've had lately, perhaps I think the most heart-wrenching reality for all of us is the sense that we are away from what is most familiar. We often feel separated, don't we, from much of our family, our friends, and the deep loneliness we feel is really overwhelming to us. May I just suggest for all of us that few things get us feeling more down than we are separated from the people and places that we deeply love. For many of us, I think joy has been elusive. The question I want to raise today is, can joy be restored in moments like this? Can we find joy in times like this? If you have a Bible handy, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Psalms, the Old Testament book of Psalms. And as a church family, we are exploring this ancient book of Hebrew poetry. It's a rich treasure. And the Psalms are written for people who are far, far away from home. They're often in exile. They were far away from the people they love, the places they love, and particularly their community of faith, their place of worship. The Psalms for people in exile, I get this, become like a virtual temple where they experience the presence of God in remarkable ways when they are far away from him and his temple. In other words, as we go through the Psalms, you'll notice the thread of the presence of God, the presence of God, and the Psalms help us encounter the manifest presence of God when we are far away from him. As we come to Psalm 42 and 43, let's first remember that this is one literary unit. And we encounter a person who's not just having a very terrible, horrible, no good, bad day. He, he is having a very terrible, no good, very bad life. And he feels the struggle in many ways. We're going to sense this in this beautiful psalm. He, he feels the external criticism, the stinging of friends and conflict, the internal pain and struggle. But I want to suggest to you that most heavy on his heart was the sense that he is far, far away from people he loved. He's far from home. You feel it. You sense it. He's far from everything familiar, the people, the places, and most particularly, he is far away from the place of corporate worship. The psalmist longs to be home, and he wants to experience the joy he once had, and the joy he longs for is now a haunting and distant memory. But what I'm encouraged is rather than turning his back on God, he turns his face directly toward God. He expresses to God what's deep inside him. He gets it all out before God. And this is a wonderful model for us. And what you're going to see in this psalm are two very raw <laughs> and very real emotions the psalmist wants to present to God. These two frame this psalm. And these are feelings that you and I can relate to in a COVID-19 world. The flow of the psalm is this, and the cry of the heart is this. First, he says, God, life feels overwhelming. And if that's not enough, the double whammy is on the heels of that. God, you feel far away. 
So the flow of the psalm follows that today. Life feels overwhelming, and God feels far away. First, life feels overwhelming. Woven throughout the beautiful literary tapestry of Psalm 42 and 43 are these thick threads of external pressure and internal pain. And you'll notice the metaphors that capture it. The metaphor first of a dehydrated deer uh, panting for water comparatively captures his thirsty soul for intimacy with God. In verse 1 of the psalm, you will notice we read, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. Now, I suggest maybe we haven't seen a deer panting for water, but most of us, even if we're not dog lovers, have seen a dog panting for water. Now, one of the things about Liz and I, we love dogs. We have an amazing dog. His name is Harley. And we take Harley on walks. And if you've ever seen a dog during the summer when they've had walks in the heat, the first agenda on their minds when they arrive home is their water dish. And Harley dives at that water dish because he's thirsty He's parched. He wants to experience refreshment. This is the picture the psalmist gives us. And on the heels of that, the next metaphor in verse 3 is gushing tears, uh, being his food day and night, the sense of the sadness and the deep gnawing loneliness he's feeling. This has been so intense, it has stopped his appetite dead in its tracks. Now, we've all experienced that, haven't we, in a great loss or fear One of the things we have felt is the sense of we lose our appetite. And this is where he is. But in verse 7, you'll notice the psalmist adds another metaphor. He he feels overwhelmed, completely powerless. It is like this massive rogue wave that comes crashing over him. Life circumstances have submerged him under this massive power. Most of us have experienced that, haven't we? Uh, Many of us have been on a beach vacation where we've waded out into the ocean. We've turned our back to the ocean and everything is great. And all of a sudden, this rogue wave sneaks up on us and crashes us over and we find ourselves submerged under the water, overwhelmed by its power. That's the picture. And in verse 10, the psalmist metaphorically then speaks of broken bones, the sense of the painful crushing of his spirit under the weight of stinging criticism from others. So I want you to grasp in this psalm the high emotive metaphors of parched thirst, flowing tears, big waves, broken bones. And they describe a heart completely overwhelmed, a person gasping for air, submerged under the overpowering circumstances and pains of life. They're simply overwhelmed. No wonder three times, if you have your Bible open, once in verse 5, then in verse 11, then in Psalm 43, verse 5, The psalmist describes his soul, I mean, in such vivid pictures, as cast down and in turbulent turmoil. I love how Eugene Peterson, in his message, paraphrases this. It's brilliant in his paraphrase of the Hebrew text. He asks the question, the psalmist asks himself, why are you down in the dumps? (laughs) Dear soul, why are you crying the blues? And the psalmist is down into dumps, not only because life is overwhelming, but I want you to notice in the psalm that God seems far away. Psalm 42, if you'll notice, begins with the psalmist expressing the deepest longing of his heart for the intimate presence of God in his life. This is his deepest longing. He is far away from home. He is far from the temple in Jerusalem. God seems distant. God feels far away. So he 
is deeply wrestling. He's not sensing God's nearness. He is encountering what has to be determined as and described as the mysterious hiddenness of God. And he feels like you and I feel, this aching loneliness, this insatiable longing, this deep spiritual thirst at the depths of his being. And he cries out in verse two, you'll notice very explicitly, not just metaphorically, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now I want you to notice this phrase, appear before God. Because in the English translation, it misses some of the literal functioning and focal point of the original Hebrew text. We may translate this phrase in English, appear before God in Hebrew as literally the face of God. And so what the psalmist is saying, I so long to see your face. When can I be in your presence? Now, as difficult as it has been for all of us, hasn't it? Dealing with quarantine and the global pandemic and social distancing. we're, We're all trying to stay connected virtually, aren't we? Family members and friends, colleagues at work, friends at school. But I have to say, each day as it passes by, without face-to-face contact with others. Isn't it true? The more we long in every aspect of our being to be in person again with others. This past week, I had a phone call with a good friend in Los Angeles. And he was sharing with me about his elementary-age son. And his elementary-age son came up to him one day, and he just blurted out, I mean, with just such beautiful transparency as a kid. He says, Dad, I'm so tired of this. <laughs> and then he says, I want to go back to school and be with my friends. Isn't that perfect? I'm tired of this. Now, whether you are a kid, a young child, whether you're a student, whether you're an adult, wherever you are in life, isn't that exactly what we are feeling? We are tired of this. In a very real sense, in this global pandemic, we are experiencing a kind of exile, and an exile in our homes. And instead of being in exile, as the psalmist was, because we are torn from our home, many of us are feeling like we are in exile, being stuck in our homes. The life we long to live, the life we once lived, the life that seems so long ago, and those we have loved seem so far away how we long to be with them again. Because you and I, we deeply miss, don't we, the familiar people and places we love and cherish. In our isolation, this sense of loss and loneliness makes sense though, doesn't it? Because you and I were created as physical beings, flesh and blood beings with physical community in mind. Now I am so grateful for virtual technology the many good things that come from it. But let me just say very clearly what you know, what you are experiencing, is that virtual technology is not the same as flesh-on-flesh incarnational reality. All of us, young and old, and in between, wherever we are in our spiritual journey, we feel this loss deeply, more and more as each day and week goes by. I was struck by the most recent edition of Psychology Today, brilliantly captured on its cover, face-to-face, an article written by Sarah Eichel. And it captures the sense of the moment. And the title of the article, get this, is Face Value. Brilliant. And here's what she says. 
Our eyes, gestures, and tone put us in sync and bring us together in more profound ways than words alone. It is why we hopefully look toward the return of in-person, face-to-face connection. Human flourishing, physical human connection, and a sense of physical place matter. This is why isolation and social distancing for an extended period of time is not only difficult, it is, yes, detrimental to our spiritual, emotional, relational, and physical well-being. Now, while we feel the loss and loneliness of social distancing, I want to turn our attention back to the psalmist because he is feeling that pain of social distance. No question, he is socially distant. But he is also perceiving another pain, and that is divine distancing. And in verse 4, the psalmist remembers, you'll notice if you look at the text, past times, he, he remembers past times of joyful corporate worship with God's people in the temple of Jerusalem, and he captures it, the shouts of praise. He relives it in his mind, the joyful filled festivals, his friends, the joy of that moment, far away from his place where he is right now. He longs for that people and that place of worship. And the psalmist's soul is so deeply discouraged because of that. He feels so alone. Do you feel it? And God feels so far away. He cries out to God explicitly, if you'll notice in the psalm, why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? Basically saying, where are you, God? Now, as Christians indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we can experience God's intimate presence no matter where we are. That is good news. God's intimate presence is not restricted to a physical temple. Yet, we must not minimize the importance of gathering together, of experiencing God's presence, his power together as a faith community. Now, there are many lessons I have learned during this time, but the greatest takeaway in my heart, since we have been home and sheltered in quarantine and social distancing, during this pandemic, is I realized something, and maybe you do too. I have taken for granted the freedom and the privilege of gathering together for corporate worship on Sundays. And I know this is true of all of our staff. I hear it in the conversations we have via Zoom. But I want to tell you how much I have missed worshiping with you on Sunday. And as I've talked to people across the campuses and friends in our broader church family, if there's one thing I have heard over and over again, apart from, how are you doing? There are these words, I have missed my church on Sunday. I have missed my church on Sunday. And we all can lament that. We all should lament that. We all feel the loss and experience the heartache of not being able to gather together in our campuses. And this matters because our spiritual formation, our spiritual flourishing, is not only tied to the daily cultivation of our personal walk with Jesus Christ throughout the week, it is also very much tied to our weekly corporate worship as the people of God. The Holy Scriptures describe the local church as both a people and a place embodied in time and space. The local church is a people we are called to know and be known by and a place we call home. The local church is that place 
We're a new creation being and new creation belonging of God's new family come together. Nothing can replace it. This is why the New Testament writer of Hebrews, for example, tells us, do not neglect gathering together. Now, while this may look a bit different for us now and in the days and weeks ahead, we don't exactly know what the future holds for us. But I want to encourage each one of us, each one of you, to embrace a small group. And if you're not in a small group, I would encourage us or encourage all of us to find one. And if you live in Kansas City, I know many of you have joined us in different ways during this time in the Kansas City Metro. Let me just let you know something important. Maybe you know this. If you do not have a local church home, we have five campuses around our city and most likely not one is far from you. So can I ask you to consider the importance of a church home? And if Christ's community fits you, that would be awesome. So reach out to us, email us, check our website, contact us, and we will contact you about next steps. When we are isolated, not only is our well-being at risk, temptation is stronger, encouragement is absent, healing is most difficult, and our God can seem disturbingly absent. So during this time of disruption, sheltering at home, and social isolation, life can feel very overwhelming. It can feel amplified, and God can feel far away. But can joy be near to you? Can you find joy? The psalmist begins, as you notice, with a tone of lament, heartache. But he builds to a crescendo of heartfelt joy in the midst of such difficult circumstances. And in Psalm 43, verses 3 through 4, through the eyes of confident faith, the psalmist returns to joy. Listen with mind and heart to his words. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And the psalmist says, I will praise you with lyre. Oh God, my God. Here, here, the psalmist points each of us to where true joy is found. And true joy is found not in the best of life circumstances, but it is always found in the presence of God. Joy is first and foremost relational, not circumstantial. And you can experience great joy even if your life is really hard right now. And I know many of your lives are. Even when his life felt overwhelming, even when he was far, far away from home, from everything he loved and is familiar, even God seemed distanced, the psalmist is wonderfully restored to joy. And your joy can be restored too. So let me just suggest two practical keys for restoring joy in your life in this moment. The first one is this. Remember, God delights in you. Tucked in this phrase, To God my exceeding joy, we discover one of the most important keys to joy. So you and I long for joy because we were created for joy. Did you know we are actually physiologically hardwired for joy? Research in neuroscience and interpersonal neurobiology reveals our brains literally look, scan the horizon for joy, and our brains thrive on joy. And joy is inextricably linked to relational intimacy with others and to God. You were created for joy. 
And we were created to joyfully delight in God. But one thing we miss, it's a life-giving truth I want you to grasp onto today. I want you to hold it close to you. It's the truth that God delights in you. I want you to pause for a moment because when I interact with people about their perceptions of God, seldom do I hear them respond, I know God delights in me. Yet the Bible tells us that. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, for example, describes God's affectionate delight for you. A great text in 30, chapter 31, 3, Jeremiah says, I have, God, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with my loving kindness. Now, the word the prophet Jeremiah uses, this Hebrew word twice, before he gets to the end of the loyal love, he describes the attachment, affectionate love of God. This Hebrew word is a love not of obligation or duty, but of joyful delight. We might better describe it as attachment love, a relational love of security and safety and joy. The attachment love of God is where joy is birthed, where joy is experienced, and where joy flourishes in your life and in mine. The tender, affectionate, attachment love of God awaits each one of us. It welcomes us. The hollow, thirsty, languishing soul. Now, when God thinks of us, if I may use that language, or sees us, he delights in us. Now, we might think of it this way. When God walks into the room and sees you, his eyes light up. His eyes light up. God delights in seeing you, in wanting to be with you, in knowing you and being known by you. Now, listen, I have great neighbors. We love our neighborhood, but there's one neighbor that stands out to me. He's actually almost three years old, and his name is Judah. Judah is the most amazing kid. And uh, every time I walk out the house, I could have the hardest day, be the saddest. And as I walk out, in the, out of the house, across the street, is as if Judah is looking for me. And the minute he sees me, he runs toward me with the biggest smile on his face and energy, and he says these words, Tom, how you doing? And then I say, great. And then he wants to show me something he's found or something big in his life. See, every time I encounter Judah, I find in my life amazing delight. Because Judah immediately puts a smile on my face. And when I'm in Judah's presence, he delights in me and I delight in him. And every time I'm near him, joy abounds. This is the essence of what the psalmist is saying to you today and to me. With this phrase, the psalmist says, God, you are my exceeding joy. And when I see you, when I see your face, I delight in you. And when you see my face, you delight in me. The psalmist's heavy heart and the delight of God's presence and seeing the face of God is profoundly framed in this psalm. But I want to suggest a verse for you to memorize. Psalm 1611, which is a parallel psalm, says it so beautifully, it will change your life if you hold on to it. And Psalm 1611 puts it in a great summary. 
Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus captures this on the night before his crucifixion in Jerusalem. As he gathers his disciples around him the night before he goes to the cross to lay down his life, to shed his blood for your sin and mine as an atoning sacrifice for us. Jesus experienced on that long walk all the emotions of agony the psalmist was feeling. Yet joy is on Jesus' mind and in Jesus' heart. In fact, Jesus prays for his disciples and for each one of us in that text that our joy may be full, that your life and my life, regardless of our circumstances, might overflow with amazing joy. If you have in repentance and faith placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to remember that Jesus delights in you. Joy is there for you because Jesus is right there with you and Jesus delights in you. The first key to joy is to remember that God delights in you. The second key is to speak truth to yourself. And one of the remarkable characteristics of this psalm in Psalm 42 and 43 is how much the psalmist talks to himself. Do you notice that? He will repeatedly say to himself, hope in God, for I shall praise you again, my salvation and my God. We observe this in Psalm 42, verse 5, then in verse 11, and then in verse 5 of Psalm 43. And as the psalmist pours out his heart to God, he also speaks truth to himself about who God really is. And one of the ways joy is robbed in my life and in your life, is we all, don't we, we tend to listen to ourselves in a sense like the voices in our mind or in our culture or in our past or other voices around us rather than speaking truth to ourselves. I love how one biblical scholar in this text makes this important point. Listen to what he says. The Psalms guide us into learning how to talk to ourselves rebuking, I love this language, the hope-sucking discouragements that tend to torpedo our emotional buoyancy. How? Not through self-help pep talks, not through recounting all the good in our life, hoping it will somehow outweigh the bad, rather though remembering who God is. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Do you know one of the best ways to cultivate joy in your life is to speak truth to yourself? Namely, what God has revealed about himself in his holy word. When we speak truth to ourselves, we remember who God is. We remember his tenderness, his goodness, his trustworthiness, his power, his delight in us. I'm sure you feel like me at times that, especially hard times, It's hard to praise God like that. It's hard to speak that kind of truth to yourself when you're feeling down and when life feels overwhelming. But I want to suggest to you, if you will speak the truth to yourself, you will find joy returning to your life. One of the ways I do this in my life is I speak truth to myself, usually as I start the new day, and I repeat words of Holy Scripture to myself to fill my mind properly. And with the psalmist, often, if you were to to see me in the morning as I rub sleep out of my eyes. Maybe you don't want to see me in the morning, I don't know. But I would uh, begin often hearing the words of the psalmist, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul, 
and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord on my soul. And sometimes my soul is lagging, right? So I'll come and say, I'll say, literally say to my soul, soul, come on, bless the Lord. Come on, you can do it. Bless the Lord on my soul. Remember his promises. Good shepherd, I know you are with me. <laughs> like my wonderful little neighbor Judah, I say to God, yeah, maybe it's crazy, but I think it's exactly right. God, how are you doing today? And I listen to God's tender voice to me. Tom, how are you doing today? I lean in and listen for God's tender presence. And when I do this, I find, regardless of my day, joy flooding my heart. Now notice the psalmist does not deny he's feeling down in the dumps. He's not telling himself everything is all right, but he speaks to himself what he knows to be true about God. And isn't it true, one of the greatest ironies, particularly for people like me or pastors, but for all those who are followers of Jesus, is that we often speak truth to others. And we don't speak truth to ourselves. We often preach the gospel to others, but we do not daily preach the gospel to ourselves that transforms us. Jesus is the path to joy simply because Jesus is the person of joy. Joy is found in him. Let me just say, if you have not, in repentance and faith, placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you will never experience the joy your heart longs for. Will you trust him today? Will you consider placing your trust and following him today? Jesus offers you forgiveness from your sin, freedom from the past, and a joyful, intimate relationship with himself now, but also forever. Jesus died for you, and he delights in you. Every time he walks in the room, he delights in you. But it's also true that Jesus will never walk out of the room on you. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. As followers of Jesus, we are a people of faith, but we are also a people of place. Many of us are stuck at home. That's true. We don't know exactly when normalcy returns. But let me just suggest, as much as I long for that with you, our ultimate longing is not for that. Our ultimate longing is for our ultimate home. You and I were created with community in mind and rooted in an Edenic garden. Isn't it amazing that the word Eden in Hebrew means delight? Delight. We were created to be a people and place of delight. And one day at future, we will find that joyful delight with our new family and our ultimate home. And Jesus told his disciples the night before his crucifixion, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. We wait now for the new heavens and new earth, where exceeding joy will abound. In the meantime, Jesus left us a kind of appetizer, a foretaste of joy of what is to come. And we are welcome to Jesus' communion table, a table of remembrance, of joy and expectation. If you are a follower of Jesus, and you have communion elements wherever you are, 
and would like to participate in the Lord's Supper, now would be a great time to do so. If you need additional time, please feel feel free to pause the service and pick it up. But as we lean into this table of joy, let me remind you that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broken and said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus welcomes you to his table of joy.